This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars. Premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders. A slightly special edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast this week, and no YouTube video in which you can wince at our ugly mugs. The reason for the oddity and the salvation is that myself, Adam Wheeler, along with Neil Morrison and David Emmett, are buried high in the Italian Dolomite mountain range for the Campione in Pista. Pronunciation any good, Dave? Uh, 10 out of 10. Oh, perfect. I'm getting there. Two years in. In other words, uh, Ducati's 2024 team launch of the Ducati Lenovo team, a Rubo.it World Superbike team, and now the motocross project with a freshly aired Desmo 450 MX due to enter MXGP and the World Championship in 2025 or 2025. I have to get shorter with my dating, apparently. One comment online I saw. Really? Goodness me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, 2025. It actually, say 2025 is a lot quicker. 2025. You're yeah, a married yeah. man. You shouldn't be doing any dating. Yeah. <laughs> True. But I do like to do things a long way around, as my poor wife knows. We're keeping warm and wrapped up in the confines of uh, our hotel to talk about this event in Madonna di Campiglio, but also recap. Campiglio. Campiglio. Oh, I faltered. But also recap some of the sights and words from the Grassini team launch that Dave and Neil attended two days ago. We've got some special interviews and quotes later on in the show that we captured on the fly and when we could amidst all the fuss and the hubbub around us. So if there's some slightly iffy quality or, well, I don't know, some drop or some background noise, then that's the reason for the lack of professionalism. But we tried our best. First off, a reminder that Renthal have all the street bike accessories you need and a quick look at Renthal.com will seriously tempt the wallet thanks to the quality components on display. We're talking about Ducatis on the podcast this week, but even MotoGP world champion Pecco Bagnaia commented in the official presentation this morning on the progress that KTM have made in MotoGP. And very soon, the Austrians will be having a bumper event of their own to push the 30th anniversary of the Duke Naked Bike range. I was in Austria last week. Uh, it reached minus seven at one point. We're not quite that cold here, gents. And the KTM motorhome is brilliant and full of nods to history and the story of the brand, especially their racing activities. They have well over 330 FIM titles by now and since the first motocross crown in the mid-1970s. The original KTM Duke, uh, a 620, uh, I believe, is a radical-looking thing, and that philosophy of marking the difference through styling and advanced tech has not changed a bit. It's mad to see how it's all progressed in 30 years. Well, right now, we're in Italy. Uh, we're back in Madonna, and Ducati have marked two consecutive years of consecutive MotoGP and World Superbike titles. Last year, they felt very chipper, and it seemed quite privileged to be standing with such status. But now, the number ones we saw on the stage this morning, it all seems, Dave, to be almost like business as usual. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if we spoke to uh, Ducati CEO Claudio Domenicali sort of early last year and we were asking him, you know, so how are you going to improve on both a World Superbike and a MotoGP championship? Um, uh, but they did, you know, MotoGP, World Superbike, World Supersport with Nicola Bulaga. Nicola Bulaga was also present because he's going to be Alvaro Bautista's teammate next year. Um, uh, the, the top three in the championship. Uh, the manufacturers uh, uh, championship as well. They didn't win the team championship because that went to Pramac, um, which I think was also due to an air Bastianini. I'm sure we'll talk about Bastianini later uh, and his sort of miserable year, but um, an impress as in an impressive event as as always. What was your takeaway from the event, Neil? Um, yeah, business as usual, I guess. Um, 
nothing revelatory as such from the uh, the official Ducati launch, I would say. Um, obviously in pretty good shape. I would say um, if anything stood out, it was probably Gigi's comments that um, he's given the 24 bike a big boost of power. Um, the, the bike that they kind of tested for the first time at Valencia, um, I think, uh, had a significant power upgrade compared to the 23 machine. Um, and he said that there's also going to be some pretty radically different aerodynamics, uh, which will be sampled in uh, Sepang. Um, so that's quite interesting because obviously Ducati's philosophy after getting the start of 2022 quite badly wrong. Their philosophy at the start of last year was very much just uh, minor tweaks and minor evolutions. And I wonder whether they're going to step away from that slightly uh, for 2024. So, um, you know, Banyaya seemed to be all in favor um, of that. But, um, you know, I guess the, the proof will be in the pudding when we get to Sepang and we get to see them properly testing it for the first time because Valencia, crap conditions, very windy. Everyone had just completed eight races in 10 weeks. So I don't think that was a very uh, reliable kind of guide of, of how things will play out this year. Yeah, it was interesting at Valencia that Gigi had said, um, we are going somewhere in between uh, sort of what is it, 22 and 23. So they're going to be more aggressive than 23, but not as aggressive as 22. Um, he also said that what was important was power delivery, making sure the power delivery was still good because that was one of the things when they were switching engines in in, uh, in 22 uh, between, the, between the two bikes, it was, you know... Uh, which engine? Which engine we are we going to use? Um, and the really aggressive one, the one, the one they didn't like, ended up with Pramac, which is why Jorge Martin had to had such a difficult year in twenty two. Yeah, and he did. Gigi did mention that um, obviously um, you can't sacrifice any sort of turning or cornering ability with a, a new engine with a, a higher sort of power range. Um, and he said in Valencia the signs are very good, but. Then I think we saw that at the end of 21, start of 22, Banyaya was saying, oh, everything's great. And then we got to Sepang and it was a, a disaster. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. Another talking point, perhaps, from the presentation is that we heard from Ducati Corsa's new sporting director, um, you know, after Paolo Chiabatti, after 11 seasons in MotoGP, kind of moving across to a new challenge. He said he's 66 years old. Uh, the official retirement age is 67 in Italy, so he's got a year or two uh, basically to install this um, new motocross project and whatever it leads on to, Dave. Um, they presented the 450. They're going to be running a 250 as well from next year, which was another big news topic if you're an off-road fan. But uh, yes, uh, you know, basically somebody pulling the strings from the marketing and contractual side in Ducati course uh, it's, that's a new face it's going to be uh, another dynamic yeah exactly Mauro Grassili um, is his name um, he replaces him it was interesting hearing uh, Paolo talk about uh, Paolo Gibati because uh, Mauro Grassili has been in there for a, has been in Ducati I think for 20 years um, <clears throat> but he worked very closely with Paolo Gibati when Gibati came to lead the project in uh, 20, or well, I think he joined us as, as sporting director in 2013. And then a year later, uh, Gigi Delinia came, uh, end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Chabati um, um, said, you know, like Gracili was there, he worked in the marketing department, you know, working with sponsors. Uh, but he was 
uh, he'd been really strong and really um, a real help during the hard uh, times, the difficult times, 2013, where the bike was just not comp- uh, competitive at all. And that I think we that was why he was be, he'd been promoted to take the place of uh, Paolo Chibati. I think it is going to be a bit of a loss, Chibati, because Chibati was very good at um, you know at, at sort of herding the flock and keeping everyone diplomacy together. to a degree. Yeah, yeah, exactly, just keeping everyone together. Um, we shall have to wait and see what Mauro Grassili is, the, but he's been around for a long time, so you would expect him to be okay. Yeah, he's coming from marketing and sponsorship. That was his previous position, or sorry, title with uh, with Ducati uh, before this year. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a big step up because obviously, I mean, he's not he's not alien to to the figures that he's going to be working with, um, as Dave mentioned. But um, you know, big egos in in, in MotoGP and then Chiabatti certainly kind of knew how each ca- character worked and how each person needed to be treated. Um, and yeah, it could take Grassley a little bit of time to get up to speed. I think Bagnaia said he expects it to be you know half a season or something before he, we start seeing you know the kind of best of him um, but Chiabati did also say that he'll kind of be on hand it's not like he's completely left Ducati he'll still be on hand to offer up advice should he need it yeah two decades you know as part of Ducati so he's he's definitely got the culture and uh, the philosophy or the ethos of the company down pat but I do have a degree of sympathy Dave because he's going to be straight into the deep end having to sort out contracts for Ducati's flock of riders for the, the forthcoming years and actually, Pekka Bagnaia was asked about this uh, towards the end of the press conference, and I, I thought it was a bit of a strange question because isn't he under contract already for no, next year? I thought it was no, a no, no, no. He's, he, his contract runs out at the end of twenty four. He was also he said different things in in English and Italian. In English, he said, you know, uh, uh, haven't thought about it yet. Where you know, I, I can't say anything. But in uh, in Italian, he said, you know, like the the intention is to stay together. Which is obvious. I mean, Ducati would have to be absolutely bonkers to let him go. Um, so yeah, it, it was the same. Bastianini in Italian said the same. Uh, you know, I want to stay here, uh, but they he faces a massive challenge because he had a miserable year last year, and we have to wait and see what he can do this year. Yeah, you can't imagine he's got more than maybe half a dozen races to really show that he deserves that slot on the factory team. I mean, it must be the most sought after ride on the MotoGP grid next to Bagnaia because like you say Dave he's the the golden prince really yeah oh yeah and who do you put on it will Mark Marquez go there I mean we'll talk about Mark later and and what it's uh, what he said but uh, you know is will Jorge Martin get promoted will Bezzecchi finally get a chance who knows uh, Neil when do we talk about David's contract on the Paddock Pass podcast do we break the news to him now or I think yeah maybe wait until dinner's finished tonight and then we can. Uh, he hasn't finished his coffee yet. Yeah, well, wait until I've got sort of like a, well, I'm deeply into the third bottle of wines, but before you break the news to me. Well, it's good to actually do this podcast face to face. And um, apologies if there's some beeping going on behind us, but we're in a, a kind of an archaic breakfast room in our hotel, and I think there's some sort of intruder alarm going off. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, Dave's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Very much so. Um, we obviously spoke to Peko Bagnaia. He gave us some quotes in the press conference. But before we get to some of the clips, you know, we edited some stuff for you guys to listen to before we get to that. Uh, you know, one of your favorite subjects of preseason, Dave, liveries. Um, of course, nothing, no great shakes from, you know, the new Ducatis, but they are looking a little bit more red, a little bit less um, they're a little bloody. Bit, they're a bit brighter. 
they are they're, they're sort of a little bit more of the sort of like I don't know how to call this. You see, what I need is I need my wife to come onto the podcast so she can explain tell me what color that is. Uh, but well, yeah, we it, were talking about your contract there. <laughs> exactly, you've got some big yeah, news coming exactly, up. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Uh, no, I mean it is. It's much more sort of like scarlet. It's a very bright red rather than the the the, the darker red, which the whole thing is. Um, apart from that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, I think they've added a couple of sponsors. A WD forty I saw and one or two others just uh, because all of a sudden the um, the swing arm seemed to be completely full of uh, uh, sponsor packages. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I actually quite liked the bikes last year. They look pretty good. Uh, they look pretty good this year. Um, apart from you know what is there to say? Looks fine, grey and. I thought uh, Bastianini's white as part of the Alpine Stars get up boots and leathers was pretty cool. It's yeah. good to see sort of like, I think you need white Alpine Stars boots in MotoGP. On the other hand, Alvaro Botesta, what on earth are you doing? I mean, it's terrible. I was sitting next to Will from Alpine Stars as the presentation was going on. I said to him, it's like athletes relations guy. I said, you would be sacked if your rider turned up wearing that get up. It looked like he was wearing marigolds, like washing up gloves. At least they weren't cold. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, it's completely, um, that it's completely up to him. He's a, uh, you know, he's a, he, he's a double world champion. So he's uh, allowed to make any fashion choices he likes. Triple. Triple, yes, triple, yes, indeed, yes, indeed, and uh, also he's been. He, I think he was told to get on the pies or something because uh, because of the weight penalty he has to suffer uh, next year. As we said, the world champion spoke to us. Um, here are some highlights from uh, various topics uh, on his approach to 2024, tackling 44 races, the effects of VR46, and of course the impending threat of Mark Marquez. About Marquez, I think uh, that a lot of riders are very competitive for, for the season. So uh, the 2023 bikes that he will, uh, he will use is a winning bike and uh, for sure better than the one he was using this, this, this last season. So let's see. I think that the last year bike was, was almost perfect as a bike, but in some areas were, uh, were difficult, very difficult. I, I struggled a lot in some Fridays of the of last year's season. So the biggest improvement I think was on some areas uh, that we were asking both because our riding styles match quite well. And um, and yeah, in Valencia, that is not a track where you feel a lot of the power. You were I was feeling something. So I think is uh, the improvement is uh, is good. Uh, but we have to try try and be better in, uh, in Malaysia because Valencia was two days after the, the title and, uh, and uh, the time was not the best. So uh, I think in Malaysia will be uh, more interesting to try everything and to have a base to start. I think that uh, all the Italian riders that right now are in uh, MotoGP Moto were, uh, were with us uh, on, a motor, on a mini bike. Uh, I remember that Bulega, Elea, uh, Dija, uh, Marini, we were all together uh, on, uh, in, the, in the pocket bike and I think it was a really great period where a lot of Italian riders were growing and uh, arriving to the, a great level. But uh, I think also that uh, it's not just because we are in the academy that we are uh, at the top. I think also other situations can, can do great results like uh, Enea's one. Uh, Nicolò was in academy 
in the last uh, three years, I think he did a, a great, great step in front in terms of his uh, attitude, I think. And, uh, and uh, for, from my point of view, I think uh, our work is uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks to the academy, we have everything and uh, we don't have to, to think about anything. Um, they are doing a really great, great job. Uh, three titles and uh, four titles in the championship and uh, a lot of podiums, more than 170 podiums, I think. So uh, we can be proud uh, of the academy, but also other situations can can do great results, like Enea, like Ubi, Bulega, uh, and uh, like uh, Dija. So, yeah. My plan is to be at the top 44 races, so I will try. <laughs> Uh, for sure, is you have to have a strategy, you have to have a line on that because last year uh, we were uh, very prepared for everything. I think it was the best year in my life for preparation. But we had also three weeks in May and five weeks in July. And this season we will have just three weeks in uh, in uh, July, in July, yeah. So, and then we'll have the Vudibu uh, and uh, the uh, the marriage, so <laughs> let's see. Uh, but I think um, thanks to our trainer, uh, we will uh, plan everything in the best way possible and we will uh, be prepared for everything. And the, and the ma maximum pizza to be uh, uh, in the end for sure. Dave uh, Pecco is older, wiser, more unbeatable. Um, it's interesting that he wouldn't really be drawn much on, on the presence of Mark Marquez and also Jorge Martin. No, he was playing his cards very close to, the ch to his chest. I think this is also... Uh, I mean, we do complain about Pecco sometimes because he can be not very exciting. Um, but that, I think, is also a deliberate ploy to not generate... Uh, make life easier. Yeah, make life easier, not generate contra uh, controversy, that sort of thing. Just uh, not so much. But it was... He did gloss over um, Mark Marquez and also Jorge Martin very quickly, which sort of made you think, so you are worried a little bit, are you? Um, and he was trying to sort of, you know, talk up other riders as well. So, yeah... Um, but he faces, he does face a lot of competition. He does, but I think that was one of his biggest uh, strengths last year. He was never really drawn into a kind of slagging match or even really never let it be seen that he was kind of upset with maybe one or two's minor exceptions by, you know, Mark constantly trying to follow him in qualifying. Martin trying to get under his skin towards the end of the year. He just let that kind of like glide off him and um, you have to say that was that was to his credit you know he, he did kind of give the impression that he's he's bulletproof really um, you know it takes a lot to really get under this guy's skin um, so a deliberate tactic I think um, and yeah just a few things that that he said um, basically towards the end of last year he lost a bit of his explosiveness um, you know he had the start of the year he was getting pole positions he was really strong in the sprint races but kind of after that Barcelona race we saw him really take some time to get going in a race weekend. Fridays was usually a disaster. He was in Q1 quite a few times towards the end of last year. Um, the sprints weren't very good, um, but then he would always turn up on the Sunday. So I think it's very clear that he needs to basically work on just being fast out of the box because he kind of lost that at the end of last year. 
Um, and uh, yeah, the crashes. He said he had seven crashes last year. Five of them came in Sunday's races. So that is another thing. But that's nothing new because, you know, we were saying this at the end of 2022. Um, you know, uh, you can never be totally sure that Banyai is not going to bin it in a high stakes situation. A colleague of ours, Neil, asked a pretty good question, Manuel Pacino. He said, you know, is it somewhat unrealistic to have high hopes of being good for 44 races? And I thought Pecco was... Um, a little bit nonchalant about that. He said, you know, his goal was to be at the front, at the top for all of those 44. I mean, just the, the odds and the averages of that are, are I mean, what is he going to say anyway? But you'd think maybe he would be a little bit more cagey or perhaps a little bit more practical in that approach. Yeah, yeah. I think um, last year we had, what, 20 rounds, a really punishing end of the year. But as Banyaya said, we had three weeks off in May, five weeks off in June. That was a lot of time for the guys to train. He said he was in the best shape of his life last year. This year might be a bit more difficult because we don't have such a pronounced summer break. We don't have any break around May time either um, of note. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be super difficult and, you know, as Martin showed last year with the, the, the sprints, you don't have to be absolutely flying um, even in the first five or six rounds. You know, it really took Martin until I think the Saxon ring before we saw the, the, the best of him. And that was, what, round eight of last year? So um, as long as you're not losing massive points early on in the season, I think that has to be the aim for pretty much everyone. Um, unless someone gets on a real roll early, early doors. Um, but yeah, consistency and, and just not doing anything too silly or too untoward early on, I think is going to be key for the, the principal title contenders. Aside from the fact that Pecco has obviously been listening to the David Emmett School of Predictions by citing almost everyone on the grid as a potential rival in 2024, uh, I thought it was telling that there weren't that many questions for Enea. Um When they were, Dave, they were pretty generic. Bastianini really has something to prove, doesn't he, in, in the early part of this season? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, as we said, he had a, a, a shocker of a season, uh, broke his uh, shoulder blade at the start of the season, basically missed, lost the first half of the season. Um, and he w came back and then at Barcelona again, he ended up uh, going into, he had a stupid crash, uh, which took out a whole bunch of people into, into turn one at the, on a, for the sun, Sunday's race. Um, and he ended up hurting himself again. Uh, and he only really found his, you know, he did have a victory, but he never really looked, he looked, never really looked like he was like the older Naya. He never really looked comfortable. He said he had to get used to the, the to the bike. Um, you know, he, you start again with a fresh, uh, with a clean sheet on, um, uh, at a, the start of a new season, uh, he has you know the same time to adapt to the bike as uh, Peko does, um, but he goes in with a lot less confidence, and I think that that is really going to be quite difficult for him. Um, and he will have, I mean, basically contracts uh, contracts uh, contract talks start around Mugello. So, so that is around six or seven this year. I can't remember. Um, It'd have to be earlier this time. No, 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 no. You, um, it, contract, I mean, there will be talks, but you have until Mugello to prove yourself. Uh, uh, Mugello people start focusing and contract uh, and and concentrating, and then it'll be until the end of the uh, uh, you know the end of the season. I would expect to, there to be sort of a flurry of contracts signed after the Saxon Ring, the um, uh, the, the second week of July, because Saxon Ring falls on my wedding day, uh, on my wedding anniversary. So you're getting married go. again, are you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Same woman, so you know, saves a lot of uh, saves a lot of a hassle. Yeah, much cheaper. Yeah, you know. exactly. 
I mean, it's pure uh, speculation, of course. I mean, we don't really know also what Ducati's strategy or budget situation could be for the future. I mean, how much of a check does Mark Marquez want? But if we have to kind of just ruminate for a while, Bastianini, how much kind of of a chance does he have of having another year in the factory team? Do we think, you know, he's favoured there or, you know, people perhaps losing patience with some of his approach or I don't know. Yeah, I would say so. I would say he's on pretty thin ice. And, and like we said, if, he's, if he doesn't come out all guns blazing, I think he, you know, he's in serious threat of losing that seat. Um, I don't think that's revelatory just because guys like Martin and Bezeki had much better seasons than him last year. Massive talents, bigger talents than him, arguably Mark Marquez. Fabio Quattararo could be interested in that seat as well. So, you know, he's basically going up against the, the best of the best um, for that ride. Um, so, yeah, only uh, a, a kind of a, a similar start to the year like he enjoyed in 2022, uh, I think will be enough to, to, to seal it. Not necessarily a bad thing, though, because if, as we suspect, Mark Marquez leaves Grassini at the end of 2024, uh, then that would be a seat open for Bastianini to go back. And I think Bastianini would be uh, uh, welcomed with open arms. And it was clearly an environment in which he thrived. Yeah, and rumour has it, at the end of last year, I heard from someone very dependable that he actually wanted that himself for this year. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which indicated just, you know, how kind of unhappy he was in, in the, the the factory setup at that time. That was before Sepang, of course, when things came good for that weekend. But um, but yeah, that underlined just the struggles he, he underwent last year. You'd have to imagine if Jorge Martin did have that factory seat, then that would probably settle a lot of his maybe anxiety around the non-racing side of his career. Uh, that is pretty much top spot. You know, you don't get much better than that. Um, both Jorge Martin and Inea Bastianini, Dave, have had problems getting the the GP22 or the 23 to their liking um, in the past two seasons. When we're talking about the GP24, Neil was talking a little bit about it earlier. But, um, you know, we didn't really learn a great deal today, did we? Um, Gigi was kind of uh, conspicuous by his absence, I would say, after the presentation. Last year, he hung around a little bit, um, but we didn't really find out much more. What, what kind? What, what's your inclination or what do you think about the direction of the factory bike for this year? Well, I was lucky enough to talk to uh, technical director Davide Barana um, and spoke to him for quite a while. It was very interesting. He said that, um, uh, again, yes, the aero package is going to be different. Um, the, the the aerodynamics it is complicated, getting it all to work, um, uh, working on acceleration. He also said, like, you know, the bike, b- previously uh, the bike had a problem with turning and it wouldn't turn. Now it's sort of, you know, it's, it's okay at turning. It's not the best turning bike, but it turns, that's fine. Uh, and so they're just trying to improve a little bit everywhere. And that's actually easier... Um, than having to work on one area. When you work on one area, what tends to happen is you end up having to make sacrifices in, in other strengths. If you've got a weakness and you try to fix that, then you can really sort of break the strengths that, that, that you already have. So uh, when your bike is pretty okay, well, it's okay everywhere and strong in a few places, then you can you know just try to work improve everything a little bit. And that was very much the very much the approach. Uh, drivability, acceleration, really really important. Um, and uh, yeah, just getting the engine character, getting the engine character right. We also have forty uh, percent fuel this year, forty percent uh, carbon neutral fuel um, biofuels this year. 
which will also be a factor. Um, I, I asked David, David Barano about that, and he said he, he doesn't expect it to be to make a great deal of difference, um, uh, but it ju just means a little bit more work to you know fine tune the engine, get the engine character right. Now, are you excited about the meeting of the Davids? I am. Okay, well let's uh, let's roll it. I'm here with Davide Barana, the technical director of Ducati Corsi, if I'm correct. Um, you two championships in a row, uh, manufacturer's championship as well. Uh, clearly, a fantastic motorcycle. Um, Gigi said that the bike is going to look a, bit, a little bit different in terms of aer aerodynamics um, and more power, better power delivery. I think also. Um, what, what do you think? What did you see as the bike's biggest weakness in 2023 that really needed working on? Well, I think so. The, the bike don't uh, don't show a, a very clear point of weakness, but uh, instead we we think that we are we have to improve in every single sector of the bike. I think also in the past where we were uh, recognized to be suffering on the, on a turning. That maybe was uh, one of the weakness, but it was not the other one. So we work a lot to recover in, in turning for sure, but we continue to work also in the point where we, we are considered uh, uh, at the top uh, in terms of engine because the, the, the performance of the bike is a combination of different small factors. So you cannot just uh, stop working on a certain part and concentrate on only one because it's the weakest point. The secret, I was, I was, I don't know if it's correct to say the secret, but I think our strategy is to try to evolve the bike in uh, 360 degrees. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The other thing is that it seems, one of, and certainly one of the things that aerodynamics has helped with is you have a lot of power, but also you just get fantastic drive out of corners. The bike, uh, I think that also seems to be an area you improved mm. last year. Um how how important is acceleration now? Acceleration seems to be one of the most important parts of the of the entire bike now. Yeah, um, acceleration of the bike is a combination of different factors. Um, some years ago, it's mainly due to the engine performance. Nowadays, it's a combination of uh, aerodynamics efficiency, so the ability to, to stop the wheeling of the bike. And also, the introduction of the lowering system is also another point that, that um, affects the acceleration performance of the bike. So you have to work on the three, three different items together. We work a lot and uh, the new pack also try to improve the, the performance in acceleration, but not only. <laughs> not only. Um, the aerodynamics has made is made such huge advances, especially like in the last three years. It's almost like it's changed the sport. I don't, don't want to say completely, but it's really, it's had a massive effect. How close do you think you are to understanding a full understanding of aerodynamics, or do you still feel like you're just scratching the surface and there's so much more to learn? Uh, there's still a lot of learn because the aerodynamic of the bike is very complex. Um, even com more complex than in a car because uh, for some simple reasons why uh, the, 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 the setup of the bike is much can, can vary much more than a bike just to mention the, the, the role yeah. uh, Formula 1 car doesn't roll and, yeah. and instead the bike can roll up to 60 degrees so 
the dynamic completely changing we are, we are, when you are in a, during a corner or on a straight, also because of the, 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 the right deck tend to go out of the shape of the bike and in the rider itself is part of the the shape of the of the um, of the bike so <laughs> it's the complicated things to 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 simulate to manage to predict do you have to school or ask riders to do certain things as well to keep the aerodynamics as smooth as possible or is it just crouch get in fold your uh, you know the, the the normal things do, do they have to approach turning differently anything else no, um, usually the, the, what we do also is quite historically is to try to to define the best the best uh, position in a strike to maximize the, the, the to to minimize the, the drag. On a corner is much more difficult because you know, in the corner the position of the bike is dictated by the confidence they have yeah. uh, to manage and to to add the the, 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 the bike to control the bike. You cannot ask them to. to to stay in a position that they are not comfortable, uh, so um, the, the the position of the rider in corner is uh, is uh, a position that they they found the best uh, to. But also the the more sensible rider they they feel yeah. how also in aerodynamics how they can yet to uh, the way they have to stay in order to. Yeah maximize the aerodynamic effect so they're not only optimizing yeah, max they try different yeah. position and they feel that maybe the bike turn better and they can approach the corner faster and uh, but it's very difficult to to teach mm, them stay in this position because uh, uh, the position of the bike over position of the rider is very complicated to to, to to study, to replicate, uh, also in simulation. You're doing things with Lenovo and with NetApp, and data is becoming more and more important. Are uh, how and we've seen an explosion in AI uh, to analyze massive data sets to try to uh, find things which are hidden. Are you being have you been able to use AI to make real uh, progress? Yes, we already use AI of machine learning technology. Uh, for two three years, we are improving. We are expanding the, the application of this new technology, and yeah, good. So we have found very nice result. We are the, 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 the let me say the traditional approach uh, failed. With the, this new approach, we can find relation between data that was ignored by by the traditional approach and they are very very useful also in conjunction with the, the availability of computational power also thanks to our technology partners that provide us with the best uh, technology available uh, yeah also in racing and we are going to expand the use of ai and uh, machine learning and finally um People keep stealing your engineers. Uh, I think you've lost two engineers against last year, uh, one to Yamaha. Um, uh, in the past, you see people leave to, to, to go to KTM. Is that uh, a compliment for what Ducati's doing? Or, and is it a, a problem? Does it, cause you, does it cause you problems? Or is it something you have to take into account? Well, of course, it's a problem because uh, we... Uh, 
some people the left uh, have a very big knowledge uh, and they were a part of Ducati for many years so they know very well what we what we did uh, the reason why we did a certain solution but uh, this is part of the of the game you know yeah. when you come competitive is normal that uh, your competitors try to hire people from you this is quite new from in the past because you know the the labor market it was different 10 years ago when the european uh, brand were not present the japanese uh, were much far yeah. uh, in 10 years uh, they also the 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 engineers market <laughs> changes a lot uh, and uh, we have to face it uh, we try to to keep the people if we can sometimes we 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 succeed sometimes not as it happens uh, uh, but uh, anyway uh, we have also very other guys that are growing let me say as usual uh, there is a is when you when you lose a, a good uh, engineer, a friend also, because yes. you know, a longer story together is always a shame. But we also consider there is opportunity to other guys that are growing up to, to reach certain level, uh, to give them more responsibility, to uh, also have fresh uh, engineers with new ideas. Uh, uh, we prefer the, the people stay it, but uh, it's a way or another. We have managed also, I think our strength is because we have a lot of people that are very good and work together. I hope, I hope that if uh, they took one good guy, but he's only one good guy, is not uh, uh, a strength for what that this one good guy will perform as good as in Ducati because you don't know the environment you will go if is is so uh, is so good uh, so one thing is to work together people that you work together for 20 years another story is okay you go on another organization before you can establish your thing the same relationship you had in Ducati in and be so efficient as you being Ducati is not so, um, let me say, uh, um, easy and uh, normal. Yeah, because building a team and actually getting the, uh, keeping the constant challenges of working in a team, keeping everyone ex excited and, and get keeping, uh, allowing new ideas to come to stop you from getting stale that's that's is very important also in fact also in another category life of one you've seen the history there are being new new entries that collect people very clever and uh, skilled people from here and there put them together but it's not obvious that they can they can work efficiently together we have been great uh, project failed because uh, in spite they have a great team but it's not just a matter to to, to take good people uh, the relationship uh, takes years to to be established and to work uh, together efficiently i think the strength of ducati is because in fact in the past when we entry in MotoGP, we didn't take uh, uh, technicians, engineers from 
what uh, the brand that were already present. We keep our guys from the, the Superbike project put into the new GP and, and build up our knowledge. It is a long process, but uh, it will pay back. I think also in, if we, in, we will find uh, in a position that we have to recover. I think, I don't know if I will hire uh engineer from the others uh, i will much more invest on the on mine guys uh, and uh, uh so i hope that <laughs> the the, the uh, for sure the the, the guys that left are also friends so i hope for them the best of course but on the, uh, with the Ducati hat, I, <laughs> I hope they struggle, will struggle to, 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 be, to bring into this team uh, the knowledge and to really improve the, the project where they have joined. So the difference, the, the strength of Ducati is you, you don't just have a group of engineers, you have a team. Yeah, the team that uh, grew up together in a lot of years of experience. So. I think, honestly speaking, looking at uh, our competitors that are struggling, I think um, one big mistake is uh, to um, to believe that something can be changing in a few months. This is, makes you even more confusion. Sometimes you recover, if you have a problem, if you are in delay, you consider that you have to plan uh, a recover plan but not in three months six months it takes one year two years three years you have to think in long term and not short term okay unless uh, you just add the confusion to the already confusion existing okay thank you ever so much thanks this has been great thank you, thank you. Yeah, interesting stuff there from uh, Davide there but uh, you know it's not all been um, flowers and Wonderful times. Ducati have lost a couple of um, pretty prominent uh, engineers over the off season. Um, you know, I think uh, last year, in last winter, it was KTM that was kind of poaching a lot of their talent, and it seems that Yamaha have managed to um, poach a few of their their big names. Um, Pekka Bagnaia, in particular, mentioned that uh, Massimo Bartolini, who's their vehicle performance engineer, and I think has a pretty trusted aid to um, to. Gigi Delinia. If anyone saw that um, Andrea De Vizioso documentary, um, unlimited. Cu- no, no, unlimited. Um, yeah, something like that. The Red it? Bull sort of yeah. sponsored uh, thing, and Bartolini was the guy that was basically given Dovi a hard time after I think the, the Spanish GP asking him why he didn't try and pass Vinales or whoever it was on that occasion. Um, so pretty forthright guy, but Banyai was saying that was like a huge loss, and um, you know it was really going to benefit Yamaha. They've also lost a pretty prominent um, aerodynamics engineer, which uh, Yamaha have installed as their chief aerodynamicist. Um, you think maybe that's cause for concern, but then this time a year ago, we were talking about how Fabio Starlacchini, Fabiano Starlacchini, uh, Christian Pupilan and Alberto Girabiola had all gone to KTM and it didn't really seem to make much difference to Ducati at all. There was still a complete winning machine last year. Um and, you know, Dave, I think uh, Davide Barano was telling you that it's not really a cause for concern for the factory either. Yeah, I mean, he said, because the thing is, most of these guys had, 
uh, sort of grown up together. They've they've developed together. They've been, most of them have actually been at the the factory for twenty plus years. Um, so he said, on a personal level, you're losing friends, um, uh, and you know, on a personal level also, yeah, you, you're losing friends, and you wish them you wish them the best. Um, on a professional level, he hopes they uh, struggle, but um, he also said it's not just about uh, taking an engineer and sort of picking his brains that engineer has to fit into the team you know they, 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 what ducati have done is because they bring their engineers uh, uh, sort of they they bring young engineers in and they uh, help them develop and grow them into sort of you know leading engineers um that gives that it, it creates a real team spirit he talks a lot about the the, the way that there's that there, there's a real sort of team spirit and that there's room to innovate. There's room to have ideas. There's room to do to work together. Um, and he says also there is sort of like a, a, a minor upside, if you like, in, in that when senior people leave, it, uh, it you know it leaves vacancies for people for to promote people who are, you know uh, engineers who are on their way up. Um, but he said the most important thing inside, inside Ducati is the culture, the culture of uh, you know being open to new ideas, of working together, of that team spirit of wanting to, to do that. He, and he said you can't just plug someone in and think it'll solve your problems. You know, like it's a, he said, you know, it's not a question of months, it's a question of a year, two years. Because if you look at what happened to Ducati, you know, 2013, they were in a sort of a terrible, a, a terrible position. Um, and it took them five years to start winning again. Um, maybe they could have started winning again if they hadn't have sort of come across Mark Marquez in his absolute cannibalistic prime. But he, um, yeah, I mean, it, it takes time to actually get back to get back to to winning weight. So, uh, yes, losing losing the MR, the engineer the MR is a shame. They have people who, uh, and it's a real loss. Also, it's a massive loss of years and years and years of knowledge, experience, data uh, of the way that uh, the, they work. Also, the ideas that they've tried and the ideas that they, the, 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 why the reason for doing things in a particular way. That, I think, is the biggest, the biggest reason to hire someone from Ducati is because you get to find out um, the reasoning behind the technical choices which Ducati have made. So, you know, why did they go for the ride height device? Why have they gone for aerodynamics? Why have they chosen, uh, a, you know, the, a particular engine layout or a particular design choice in the engine, whatever? Um, that, I think, is the most important thing. But it's uh, it, it's not going to be a magic bullet for Yamaha to hire these people, and it's not going to be a... Uh, it's not going to be a massive loss. To it's a loss. It's not a massive loss, but it's a, a loss that Ducati have built the culture and they have the engineers, they have the team to be able to sort of, uh, you know, plug the holes and build further. Uh, I mean, you can get the background staff, you can increase your knowledge, but it's still a question of timeframes, right? I mean, it took Ducati X amount of years, you know, by overhauling their engineering department to achieve success. So just because Yamaha or maybe Honda or KTM have staff, it doesn't mean they're automatically going to start challenging. But this is the point. The point about what Gigi Delinia did when he came into uh, Ducati was not uh, bring all these brilliant technical ideas, even though he 
had brilliant technical ideas and was open to brilliant technical ideas. What he did was realize that he had a group of incredibly talented people around him and he just made them found the found the right way for them all to work together forward in one direction. Um, the other thing that uh, uh, David Banana was saying was, you know, like in, uh, when you're in a really difficult period, the period with Rossi, um, you're just throwing trying anything you throw things at a problem and hope you can solve it um but you know that's not the way to solve that's not the way to solve problems and you start getting lots of finger pointing and my idea is better than yours and why didn't you try my idea and that's a stupid idea um that creates a bad atmosphere it creates a very difficult working atmosphere uh and what Delinia did was you know bring it all together and uh, start to build forward i think I, I you sort of get the feeling that with mark marquez departure from honda um, that where they leaned very heavily on the talent of Mark to be able to uh, to succeed, and things just got sort of um, brushed under the table. People got ignored. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, we've suffered this massive loss. We've got to solve it, and the way that they're solving it, it it's motivated all of the engineers as well. Okay, we've got to start making progress. So let's look at let's look at how to improve the bike. It's such a cliche, but new motivation fresh challenge or the rest of it, it you know there's a lot to be said for it you know not just in terms of the rider and performance but everything you know behind it but um I, I mean you guys you know dave you've been chased around the peninsula by frothy coffee uh for the last couple of days and of course uh, this is the second team launch of the winter um the first was the australia galicia mark Mar uh, marcus brothers presentation um just kidding uh, it was team grassini uh who kind of recycled 2023 to a certain degree uh, the bike livery is very similar uh, there was no major title sponsor but we cannot say that the the profile of the team has decreased i mean if anything it's blown up hasn't it because of their number one signing um dave you wrote about mark marquez's first kind of official act outside of honda colors you know in in a decade uh what was your sort of uh, kind of takeaway from the grassini presentation um i mean it it does seem that they have got more sponsors um uh someone who special specializes in uh, sponsors, Lila Oaks uh, pointed out to me that they've got three new sponsors, uh, which is not massive. Um, also, they have to be careful. They've got, uh, they have new spot. They maybe they got they had the the opportunity to sign a big title sponsor because of Mark. But if Mark leaves at the end of twenty twenty four, they lose that title sponsor and then they lose also the sponsors who they had to push aside to make room for the title sponsor so it's a very delicate bal balancing act um uh, it was interesting hearing mark the way that he was talking was very much like uh i i'm not here to win the championship i'm here i'm aiming for the for the top five first i really want to start scoring top fives and then you know with strong results i can increase my market value and make and give myself more options uh, in the future so uh, it, it sort of sounds like he's very open to leaving again which makes that uh, a sensible choice and also the biggest thing for him at valencia was just getting a feeling for the bike he only had one bike um he only had um uh, so he couldn't crash he said 
basically, you know, the, the team had told him, if you crash, that's the end of the test. So, uh, and Frankie Carcetti was telling us, yeah, they, they set the bike up so that uh, to make it easier for him to understand it and not risk uh, not risk the whole thing. Yeah, more from him in a minute. But Neil and Mark's kind of in the wilderness, really, in terms of his experience, um, you know, professionally and personally in MotoGP now. There's not a great deal he could say at the team presentation. I mean, he's been working with the team just for one day, but from what you saw in his demeanor, uh, what was your impression? Yeah, super relaxed, uh, quietly confident, definitely playing his chances down. Um, Dave mentioned that it was top five is the aim, um, but there were a couple of little slips where he just, I felt, kind of give the game away when you realize that, yeah, okay, he is clearly thinking about returning to the very top. I think at one point he said, you know, the the aim now is the same as it was in 2013. Um, and then he was like, which was top five, by the way. <laughs> you know, it was like, I'm not sure you were originally going to say that, mate. Um, and, uh, you know, when he was talking about the, uh, the, the the test of Valencia, I know I mentioned that the conditions weren't great um, earlier in the podcast, but the fact that he was so comfortable so quickly um, without really even understanding the best parts of the bike. Uh, Dave and I spoke to Frankie Carcetti. We're going to hear from him in a little bit. But uh, Frankie was telling us they didn't even get to work on like ergonomics or riding position. It was basically just a few changes to help him with the wind that was uh, at track that day. Um, so without even being kind of anywhere near, you would imagine, his most comfortable, uh, he was still fourth fastest, what, 0.17 off uh, the fastest time of the day. Um, I know that uh, we can't read too much into the Valencia times, but it, it just gives the impression that he's um, he's he was comfortable from the start. And he said, you know, the, the, the kind of the first impressions of the bike, the power, the power delivery, the smoothness um, on corner exit was was really notable. And he said, now it's just about understanding how we can make the most of that because it's going to require a different riding style. Um, but the one thing that we've seen from Mark over the last decade is that he's one of the one of the quickest guys to figure out new me- new methods of riding, new riding styles whenever a bike requires it. Um, he's able to get on top of that almost immediately. Um, and I know we're not dealing with um, peak Mark Marquez, possibly after the last four years, um, but he was asked to rate his physical and mental state out of ten. Um, I think in in the Italian part of the press conference, um, and uh, he said ten mentally. I'm at 10 just because I feel relaxed, I feel happy, and that gives me an indication that he's in a he's in a good place, even if he's kind of outside that sort of dream team where he's been for the last 13 years. Um, he's in a, a comfortable position, and he knows that he can he can really show off just what he's capable of. That's worrying for everybody else. But then, of course, as we said earlier in a podcast, you know, Mark Marco still has to go through the whole Ducati experience, you know, race distances, getting everything ready against the clock on a Grand Prix weekend. So they're, they're going to be fresh experiences for him. I want to mention him quickly, Neil, because um, we haven't, I don't think people in, in general have talked much about him, but Alex Marquez. <laughs> Harsh. Um you know, what's what's your view on that? Because is he back in the shadow, um, you know, after a couple of seasons where he was really establishing, you know, more of his own profile? I mean, we're talking about a double world champion in two classes. Let's you know, give him his dues. Uh, but or, you know, is he in a, a quite a decent position now where his brother again is going to be taking the weight of the attention and the pressure and, and you know, 
spotlight and he's free to maybe just plough away and get some decent results. Yeah, I think he's in a really good position. I was obviously jesting when I said who there just because Mark pretty much demanded all of the headlines. Um, I was looking at a couple of websites on uh, Sunday just to to see what Alex's quotes were written down and I couldn't find any stories about him. It was all about Mark um, and the, the team's reaction, understandably so. Um, but yeah, I think Alex showed in the autumn of last year after he returned from um, his crash in India where he broke a couple of ribs. Um, I thought he was really strong. You know, he was fighting with the leaders in Thailand before he crashed out. Uh, he had a, that sensational weekend at Sepang. Maybe a bit more uh, was brought down to earth in Qatar and Valencia. Wasn't you know, riding at the front in those those weekends. But I definitely think Alex can be a, a, a race winner uh, in 2024. I think you're absolutely right. Mark is going to take the the, 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 the the kind of the headlines, the attention, and he's going to be able to get on with it to an extent. And I think that suits him to a team. I don't think he's under any illusion that he's a better rider than his brother. He, I think he knows his strengths. He's also aware of his weaknesses. He said one of his weaknesses is when he's in a new environment, it takes him a bit longer to adapt to that environment than someone like Mark, for example. Um, and, you know, second year in the same team um, with his brother on the other side. Uh, yeah, I think it's all set up for Alex to have a really strong season. Um, ninth, he was in the championship last year, his best ever MotoGP championship finish. And yeah, I think he can, he can definitely be top six in the championship this year. Yeah, I mean, Mark was asked... Um, uh, who you know? When are you going to win? When do you expect to be able to uh, to win a race? Uh, and who do you think is going to win first, you or Alex? And he said, "No, Alex, because Alex knows the bike." Um, and Alex uh, also said, "You know, th there were tracks where he turned up where he had no idea. He had no reference at all." Uh, about how the bike was going to behave. Um, this is also something that Mark will f will f will uh, face because uh, they go to the go to Sepang three days on the bike, go to Qatar, test for a couple of days, and then have the race. So he'll have like the whole package dialed in. But then you go to Argentina, and even though he's really strong in Argentina, um, it's still uh, he has to figure out how to be really strong at Argentina on a Ducati, how that works. We go to Austin, which he loves, but the bike is going to behave very, very differently to his Honda. So he's going to have to figure that out as well. So the, it, it takes a little while to, to, to get dialed in. And I think Alex is going to be um, approaching the season knowing what to expect. Uh, you know, this is what this is what we're this is what we're going to do. Uh, yeah, Portimao as well. You go to Portimao is such a weird uh, the second race of the year. It's such a weird track. Um, uh, Mark will have to figure out okay how to ride around here because it's all up and down and all the rest of it. Um, Alex will have it dialed in because he'll know from the test last year. He'll know from the race last year. Um, it's going to be much quicker for him to actually uh, get up to speed and, and be competitive. I'd love to see who's going to be shit-stirring Mark now following him in qualification sessions. I mean, Everybody. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. trying to. Pecco is anything about him. Surely he's going to be waiting for Mark at the end of the yeah, play yeah, and Pecco, um, just, just to be like, oi, this is how it feels, you little yeah, shit. Yeah, Pecco is definitely going to do it. Oh, uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it past uh, uh, past um, uh, Fabio either, Fabio Quattararo, just just for just to try and mess him up. But anyway, you know, Fabio's got his own uh, uh, demons to slay first. Dave, you must have been quite happy at the launch or had a moment of weakness because I saw you tweeting about the design, which is very similar and that you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bo both liveries, both the Grassini and the Ducati liveries, they're actually really quite nice. And I quite like the, uh, I like, uh, quite like the Grassini thing. And, you know, it's fine. You, there's no need, there's no need, no need to, to change it. 
A swift reminder at this point that flyracing.com has an enormous amount of clothing and protective gear, both for the street as well as off-road riding. The Formula S helmet is the most comfortable, best ventilated, one of the best looking and certainly the smartest motocross lid on the market. Fly have moved the needle by making connectivity and advanced helmet technology a new benchmark. Have a look at flyracing.com to find out how and why before you make your next helmet purchase. Frankie Carcetti uh, won a world championship with Joan Mir in 2020 and they help um, Fabio Di Antonio. I always struggle with that name. Can't we just shorten it to something? Digia. Digia. Already have. It sounds, uh, at least I tried, all right? Yeah, uh, no, no, uh, 10 out of 10 for trying. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you going... always give it your 110%. <laughs> I mean, nobody can deny that. Oh, God, we haven't even reached the tests yet. And, uh, you know, of course, last year, um, you know, he had a, a pretty decent impact for the Italian, helping him stay in MotoGP, you could argue. Uh, now he's only the second crew chief for Mark Marquez in his MotoGP career. And Dave, you grab some words from him in Riccioni. My name is David Emmett. I'm here with the Paddock Pass podcast with Frankie Carcetti, uh, crew chief to Mark Marquez now, crew chief for uh, the Grassini team for the second year uh, in a row. Um, before we get on to this year, which is going to be exciting, a little bit about last year because we felt a little bit sorry for Fabio losing his ride because he had a difficult start to the year he was getting better and better and he had a fantastic second half of the year what happened in the second half of the year what did you change for him um yes so obviously it was my first year uh as well people have to remember that you know it was a new bike to me as well uh fabio had a tough you know really tough 2022 so you know the the combination was quite difficult to start with. You have to learn. You have to learn how each other work. So it took a little bit of time. Um, but I think the thing that we just concentrate the whole year was to be better every race. And I think, you know, it started with ninth, eighth, and then fifth, and I think it was fourth in Mandalika, third in Phillip Island. So it was just a, a progression because what you always try and achieve is to improve every race. Uh, and I think it's quite normal, you know, it was his second year on the bike, so he's going to improve. It was my first year on the bike, you know, so you also understand the bike. And I think the key thing was sort of halfway through, um, you know, I'll be honest, most Ducati riders all ride something very similar. Um, it was clear then that he needed something different because of Harry Road. So we went a different avenue and fortunately we found something that, that suited him and at the end of the year, honestly, we hardly touched a thing. Uh, it was like anything. The more familiar you are with the uh, with the bike, the you improve naturally. So I hope that one answers that one. Um, and then, yeah, with Mark, I mean, I think he said, you know, he did. I don't think even fifty. I think it was less laps, and the conditions were awful. I'll be honest. Um, so it was very difficult to even work on the bike. I mean, the only changes we made were literally for the wind and the cold to give him confidence because he had one bike, which also makes things yeah. tougher because if you have a problem, then you need as much information to go into the winter. So it's really tough to evaluate anything because we didn't even touch anything, you know, apart from just make the bike a little bit stable for the conditions. So... Like he touched on, you know, we go to Sepang with a very open book uh, and see where you are, you know. Um, 
who knows what that is all we'll try and do from that point is you just improve uh, as the season goes on yeah it's an interesting point you saying that uh, it was your first time with a bike we forget about that we sort of like think you know like crew chiefs that's alright well you change from one place bike's a bike but a bike isn't a bike each bike is different and has its own little uh, nuances and specialities and, and, and uh, character that you, that you have to understand as well Um the other thing is, you know, you've changed. This will be your third rider in in three years again, and the, the relationship between the rider and, and crew chief is so important. How how do you go about building that up? It's just it's understanding each other. You know how he works, how I work. Um, you try, you always try and put the best of both worlds uh, and adapt. But you, it's not just a relationship being mates, and you know, it, there's more to it. It's is literally understanding what he wants to go fast on the bike um, no one's a magician you can't work with someone straight away and know it takes time um, it, you know I you get a bit I had a bit of a picture from uh, Valencia but like I said the conditions were tough so probably until Sepang is when I'll first start to understand a little bit more how he rides you know it's not just a bike setup, it's also the ergonomics where he sat on a handlebar positions for, you know, this, we haven't even started, you know, it's, um, and there's another thing as well, which people get in tests, it's a little easier, uh, for riders to improve because you've got the same bike, the same track, and you have many laps in a row. When you go to the first race and you do 20 laps and FP2 is like qualifying, it's a very different matter, you know, until you are ready and you're familiar with the bike and the feeling, you can't, you know, it's very difficult to push and and be fast straight away. So, you know, you also look at the previous riders on the same manufacturer. You tell me one that in the first year went super fast and was, you know, there isn't, there hasn't been anyone. So Casey Stoner, but that was a little while ago. Casey, different era. You know, I don't, yeah, you... I'm not one it's like comparing Maradona with Pele you can't compare you know now all the bikes are factory they're all fast all the riders are fast there's no one that you know you get lapped or you know lapped is you know you finish in 10 seconds off you don't even get any points anymore it's a very different uh, very different calendar and level of riders and machines that communication what is Mark's feedback like is it clear is it easy to understand is he good at I mean like prioritising is always such a big big thing in in racing understanding what's going to help you go fast how has that communication been communication is brilliant it's just um, you just have to fish through all the information because obviously it's a completely different project for him so you know everything's strange different um, some good some bad and it's the key like I said will be in Sepang to say okay what's the most important area that we need to work on is it your position is it finding a setup uh, you know all the bikes use the tyres in a different way you know that was one thing for me for instance I've always specialised a lot in rate, end of race pace and it took me a while to understand the bike how to get that so everything takes time you just hope and pray that the further up you start then you know you, you less to make up so 
Frankie, I know you said that the conditions at Valencia weren't ideal by any stretch, but um, I think we saw a shot in the garage after Mark's first run where he came in, took his helmet off, give you a little wink and a smile. It seemed just that there was kind of excitement all around the box. Was there a real buzz just because of the situation? And uh, even though conditions weren't ideal, I'm sure you got a decent impression that, okay, but he's still some way to go in terms of feeling comfortable. He was there on the timesheets. Yeah, I think... um you know the conditions weren't great at all and you have no idea you know you know you it's a big shock for him to go from somewhere he's been for the last 10 years I don't know how many years 10 years um, to something completely different and you have all these worries wonders and um, I think it was just a really pleasant you know nice feeling to jump on something and it wasn't completely abnormal you know Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's too much to take out of that. Yeah, because the other thing was what I liked, because I was watching those first laps and the first couple of corners, he was running wide at the, at the first corner and then he, he figured that out. OK, I, I need to break differently to get through turn one. And then you could see him sort of like working almost on a corner by corner basis. Yeah, I think he touched on it. Um to understand limits of the bikes, you have to miss apexes and go. But you, you, for sure, the wind in the turn one, where I, I did see him go wide a few times, that was where it was worst. So, partly that was that. But um, yeah, you at some point you have to test the limits um, until you get. Unfortunately, it's one of those things. Until you get that experience, you don't know what the limit is. Is there a big difference, Frankie, between the twenty-two and twenty-three bike? Will that take much adaptation from yourself to kind of get to know it? I think one of the best things they've done now for the last two or three years is they've made um, very steady but improving modifications to the bike. Um, I think once they made, um, you know, there was quite a big difference from bike to bike. I think from the point where they started uh, winning and being at the front, you know, you're always more careful, uh, for sure. You've got something that wins. You don't want to go too drastic. So it's about finding the weak areas and small, steady improvements. So, last question: um, Everyone expects Smart to be champion this year. Just about absolutely everyone. I mean, realistically, that is an incredible little challenge. Realistically, it's also, I mean, it's not impossible. It's Mark. Um, does that put more pressure on you? How do you deal with that? And what, what, is, what is your objective? He keeps on saying, look, I want to get back into the top five or six. But we know what he really wants to do is win races and be, uh, you know, see the podium regularly at the very least. What, what's your feeling? Mine are really clear. Um, my job is that he's happy um, to get him as fast as he can so he can compete at the front um, and to do it as quick as possible um, and I have no idea how long that'll take um, I've only one thing that uh, I've always been one that no matter what the first race result is the next one's better and then the next one after that and then you, you the calendar's too long there's 44 races now 40, I've, I've totally lost count um, to think anywhere you know before you're even th- three quarters of the way through you'd be absurd um, you've you know literally might we haven't even spoken about guitar test the whole thing is about Sepang um, what we're going to do what we're planning to try 
um, we hadn't even thought about the first race or what we're going to do there and I think that'll be the same after Sepang it'll be exactly the same at Qatar where to improve again and like I said you then go to the next track and it's like right we want to be better than what we were what was the positives what was the weak points um, and yeah come Valencia we'll see where <laughs> where we started where we finished <laughs> okay thanks ever so much and good luck this year thank you very much Dave, Neil, the Italian stint is almost finished. What's been your favourite food so far from this trek? Uh, we had a decent pizza last night. Um, it was quite loaded, wasn't it? A lot of toppings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Lots of uh, lots of mushrooms. I'm a you know I'm a I'm a fun guy. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, Sorry wow. about that, people. Uh, so uh, yes, no, that was uh, that, that was fine. But uh, you know, there's there's always good food here. Um, and we went for gelato on Saturday. Yeah, we was, had an ice cream yeah, on Saturday, which was spectacular, just fantastic, very so, romantic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, down there on the coast, sun setting. Yeah. Well, it would already set, and it was about it was freezing outside, but uh, we still had a gelato, and it was great. Yeah, that area of Italy can't be too cheerful in the winter, I'd imagine. In summer, great, full of life, but in the winter, yeah. yeah and if you were staying in our hotel, then <laughs> it certainly was uh, without life. Yeah, it, it was nice. a wee bit. It was a bit grim. You could definitely tell they were phoning it in. I mean, like I went to ask for my um, uh, for my uh, uh, room key at some point, and a uh, a four year old girl ran out and sort of. She was sort of like saying, which one is it? And uh, I had to teach her what 40 was because that was the number of my room. So, uh, yeah, it was very, um, uh, it, it was it was a, a, an interesting experience, shall we say. You didn't turn around and she had disappeared, like some sort of ghostly apparition, <laughs> <No>. David. <laughs> it wasn't with an axe by her side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, listen, that's all from Italy. Uh, Neil and I are rubbing our hands at the prospect of uh, double teaming Dave with tiramisu dessert later on um, in the official team dinner. Uh, we'll try to keep you away from the coffee as well, Dave. Uh, you don't want to be overloading, um, especially if you're right into 3 or 4 a.m. doing your roundup from motomatters.com. Just a reminder to everybody to go and read that excellent content there. We'll be back next week with some content from the Trackhouse Racing MotoGP launch event in Hollywood, which I'll be going to. I'm sitting on the plane, clocking up the air miles. And then uh, we'll continue with the trip through the uh, pre-season hype up until the tests in Sepang and through to Qatar. Mm-hmm.